I don't know if you've noticed, but this is the transfiguration window. So if you hadn't noticed before, take a look at it, maybe after worship, uh, see what, uh, what the artist is depicting there. Transfiguration Sunday, the Sunday that always, always precurses our Lenten journey, sets us up to go down the mountain and into the wilds of living as we know it. So, let us hear what this good news has to say for us today as we prepare for that journey. One great memory I have, <laughs> a treasure I have growing up as an Iraq, are trips to museums. Now, I know maybe all of you didn't have a much like for museums, but this boy did, still does. My father was a precocious New York City boy who was allowed at age nine to begin holding tours as a tour guide at the, Nat at the Museum of Natural History in New York City. So museum visiting ran deep in our household, much to a couple of my siblings' chagrin. <laughs> That museum was, of course, one of our regular visits whenever we made our annual trek to family out there in New York City, and I always look forward to it. The habitat dioramas of flora and fauna, the full-size model of a blue whale, about half the size or bigger than half the size of this room right here, those colossal dinosaurs that would greet you as you entered the museum. Closer to home, though, being a Detroit boy myself, the Cranbrook Gardens with its amphitheater, its trails, and its weeping Zeus statue, and the Cranbrook Institute of Science with the planetarium and the Hall of Rocks, particularly in gems and minerals, even, even fluorescent minerals that are there. I loved all that stuff. I still love all that stuff and still do excitedly await the moment, and we've tried just this last visit to Colorado to share this love of it with our grandchildren. Most often, though, growing up, we visited the DIA, the Detroit Institute of Art, and I loved going to the DIA with my father, to enter that great hall filled with shimmering armor and swords. I, I was carried back to times of chivalry, of knights and damsels in distress, the hall with the dragon tile relief from the Ishtar gate of Babylon brought to life for me stories I grew up with from, from the Old Testament, uh, stories of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the work that over the years grew and still most captures my imagination was Diego Rivera's enormous mural masterpiece titled Detroit Industry. It's 27 frescoes painted. They're panels that encase the DIA's inner court, speaking to the interconnectedness of life, of humankind and the earth, of labor and technology, of science and art, of culture and industry, how it's all woven together in our journey through life. It's an amazing exhibit, one about which I'm sure much has been written in attempts to explain the artist and the work, but for me it is a work 
so filled with feeling and, and truth that no book, and certainly not someone like me, could describe it to you in any way that does it justice. It's one of those things you, you simply have to see for yourself. You have to walk into that courtyard and, and gaze upon the panels silently with your mouth agape, your neck stretched, craning to see every little inch, your eyes squinted as your senses are, are bombarded, overwhelmed with the colors and the movements and creation. And the story told in larger-than-life figures engaged together in life. Birth, death, together among the shadows in between. And in the revealing light that displays it. How can one explain such an experience that is best described as needing to be experienced? How can one talk about with words what is meant to be gazed upon with wonder and pondered over in silence? How talk when silence beckons us to listen? for the thousands of words being spoken through the picture, through the scene? How do you explain the warmth felt from a sun ray? How do you, how do you explain a moonbeam coating the snowy ground? I mean, how do you explain with words the, the brilliant face of Moses, the lawgiver, after he meets and talks with God on Mount Sinai? You don't. In fact, they end up covering him up with a veil after that. How do you explain with words the, the fiery chariots and horses of heaven swooping down to, in a whirlwind to, to gather up Elijah to go to heaven? You, you don't. You, you, you fearfully pick up his mantle that's fallen and you move on with wonder. I think that is something like the triptych that's painted for us today in Matthew's Gospel lesson. There's the smaller side left panel of Jesus with Peter and John and James hoofing it up the mountain in friendly bantering, arm in arm, spinning yarns about what they might find, and Peter singing his hiking song, I, I love to go a-wandering along the mountain track. Valdere, Valdera. The smaller-sized right panel depicting Jesus with Peter, John, and James coming down the mountain in deadly silence, except the voice of Jesus speaking into the silence of those slack-jawed disciples. So the question is forced upon us, what in the world happened in that larger-than-life central panel between the right and the left? What was going on? And, and this piece is, well, one of those experiences best described as needing to be experienced. To describe it, well, I can kind of grunt out what we see. 
Jesus' face changed somehow to shine like the sun. His clothes glistened or flashing or dazzled brightness. Moses and Elijah appeared suddenly talking to Jesus. There's cloud, there's darkness, there's terror, there's a commanding voice, there's knocking knees, there's wilting spirits, there's, there's deadly silence. This is one of those pictures that really can't be talked about with words, but is meant to be gazed upon with wonder and pondered in silence. Even the silence beckons us to just listen to those thousands of words being spoken through the picture, the thousands of words being spoken through the one at the center of the picture, Jesus. Silence. Listen to him, commands the voice. And so with tongues bitten and bodies quiver, we're all ears. And let us listen again to all that we've already heard, all that we now are called to remember hearing. Before that moment, there's the voice of an angel telling Joseph, about this central figure, Jesus. Do not be afraid. At the beginning of Matthew's gospel, the angel says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For this child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. We remember the raspy voice, not the angelic-sounding voice, but the raspy voice of John the baptizer speak of this one Jesus as being the one who is more powerful, the one who will baptize with Holy Spirit and fire. We remember then hearing the voice of Jesus himself, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. We remember his words bestowing blessings upon the most unlikely characters, the poor in spirit, upon those who mourn, upon the meek and mild, upon those who hunger and thirst for God's will to prevail in the world, upon those who are merciful, peacemakers, and even upon those who are persecuted, persecuted for living by the way God has shown those who enact justice, and who love to show mercy, and who embody a humility that puts the needs of others before their own wants. And we listen on. 
And we hear this Jesus call us to live a life that, that runs deeper than the letter of the law, that forces us to focus not on our own wants or even on our own goodness or so thought rightness, but rather on the flesh and blood people with whom we are engaged side by side in this business of living and dying trying to make sense of all that comes in between. We hear him say to us, do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body and what you will wear because, he said, life is more than even all of that combined. It's about recognizing yourself along with the birds and the air and the lilies of the field and that person you bump into by chance and even the one you really don't care for. It's about recognizing it all as the very ones God so loves and whose desire is to direct you in the way you should go and shower you with goodness along the way. So don't worry, he says, but instead make your desire to trust him. Trust him to care for you even as you care for others. We listen, we listen to his words, remembering and hearing them again, and we find them to be ever words that are choosing wholeness. Be made clean, he says. Come out of him, he says. Be made well, he says. Stand up and take your bed and go back home, he says. And listening, we, we find our minds are, are suddenly clear, and our bodies are suddenly a surge with, with new life. So we listen on. Friend, he says, your sins are forgiven. And all of a sudden, our bent backs are bounced up with release, and our slouching shoulders spring up straight, and our hearts beat truer than they've ever beaten before. So we listen. Follow me. With eyes fixed upon our newfound partner, our, our feet begin to dance gracefully in step with his. And he continues on. Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Well, I'll be honest, hearing that causes my foot to miss a step it causes me to stumble a bit. Still, though, and now watching our feet a little more closely, we continue to listen more intently, hoping to get our steps right in line with his. And we see and we hear him rebuke the wind and the waves. We see him, we hear him call the, de the despised tax collector unto himself. He, he, he cries out, we hear, come unto me. 
And his words penetrate the fray of life to to touch the the inner hearts of those who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, those who long for rest from the rat race that they've been taught they must be part of in order to be valued in the world. Come unto me, he says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And with me, you will find release from the wearisome, the worrisome treadmill. And you'll find rest for your souls. We hear him tell stories about the kingdom of heaven being less than a cold and calculating God's home. And more about a God who surprises and who instills wonder. Stories about the kingdom of heaven being less about proving oneself worthy and more about a God who is filled with grace and mercy, less about spite and punishment, but all about forgiveness and open arms and love. And we're a bit confused as we listen, as were those first disciples, But we scrunch up our faces and we perk up our ears, straining to understand. And we continue on with him. Who do people say the Son of Man is, he asks. But who do you say I am, he asks. Each of us. And we blurt out with Peter quickly, the Messiah, of course, you are the one. And hoping with all our heart it is true, we we listen on and, and we hear him then say, I must undergo great suffering and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And our minds go numb. We stare blankly as he continues on. So if any of you want to be my followers, let them deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. And our hearts sink. So we pull out the Q-tips and begin to clean our ears. But we're sure he did not really mean what he was saying there. Until six days later, up the mountain we go. Friendly bantering, arm in arm, spinning yarns, and singing with old Peter our hiking song. Valdery, Valdera, ra, 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 ra. And reaching the top of the glory of the Lord, reaching the top of the mountain, the glory of the Lord shines round about us, and we are sore afraid as we see Jesus, this one we've been listening to for these years. The appearance of his face is shining like the sun. His clothes are dazzling white and suddenly, suddenly appearing with him two others who we immediately recognize as Moses and Elijah. They're talking with Jesus. 
So with Peter, we, we stammer out something to, to try and speak some sense into this experience. We always want to use words. So we mutter feeble words until, bam, a cloud overshadows and terror fills us and a voice comes out from the cloud. This is my son, my beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. Engulfed in this voice, we, we fall and fear and have nothing more to say. It's only wonder about what we've just seen and heard, to ponder all that we have heard from this one at the very center of the picture, Jesus, the Messiah, and the words he spoke just days before, and what he will repeat to us on our way down that mountain are all that we can remember, but it is enough. He says, I must undergo great suffering and be killed, and on the third day be raised. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me, for those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Knowing his death and resurrection is imminent, and that this course was indeed the faithful course, Jesus begins to make his way to Jerusalem, where what he spoke would be accomplished. Jesus unveils the face of Moses as he offers up himself the sacrifice to fulfill the law. Jesus takes up the prophet's mantle as he embodies God's word and calls all people unto himself. Jesus, the one through whom all God's glory shines as he is lifted up unto his death and into new life. So, disciples, listen. But not until all that would take place would they begin to understand the full force of what he was about to accomplish. And Peter, as we heard today, gives a recounting of his little in his little epistle as, as the crux of the gospel message through the life and death of this one Jesus. God was speaking his intent for all creation, for you, for me. And that intent is life, filled to overflowing. But it comes only through Jesus, God's beloved Son, the true and faithful one, as was spoken of him at his birth and his baptism and at his transfiguration. He is the one who lights the way of salvation and glory for all peoples. For you, for me, 
for all who gaze upon this larger-than-life picture in silent stupor, not knowing how to speak of what we are witnessing. The word heard is the same. Listen to him. Listen and follow. Friends, as we prepare for Lent, this is God's word of love spoken to the world, spoken to us. For to follow is to trust. Trust that he will lead you through the dark corridors of death, even, into the light-filled living rooms of God's radiant kingdom of life. Jesus, may our ears be tuned and our hearts engulfed by him. Praise be to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. The First Presbyterian Church of Flint is an historic downtown congregation proudly part of the Presbyterian Church USA, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the United States. You can learn more about us at fpcf.org. You can check out our weekly live stream broadcasts on our channel on YouTube. But better yet, you can stop by any Sunday at 10.30 a.m. to worship with us. We would love to welcome you and your family to worship. Have a great week.